In October, Governor Kathy Hochul signed a bill approved unanimously in the final month of the legislative session designed to help survivors of domestic violence more effectively enforce orders of protection. To explain what's envisioned, as well as address other domestic violence issues for lawmakers to consider in 2024, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Joan Gerhardt, Director of Public Policy and Advocacy for the New York State Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Welcome to the show, Joan. Thanks for having me. So the legislation signed into law this fall calls on the court system to create a so-called hope card, which would serve uh, the same purpose as traditional paper orders of protection. What sort of shortcoming in the current enforcement of orders of protection would a wallet-sized laminated card uh, potentially address? Well, when when a survivor goes to court to get an order of protection, What they get back from the court is actually a multiple page document that they're instructed to carry on their person 24 hours a day. And in these pages include all of the information that law enforcement, whether in their own community or with another jurisdiction, either in New York state or outside the state, would be able to move forward in addressing the domestic violence at a scene of a new incident. So it should contain all of the information about their abuser. We call them respondents if it's civil court. It might have a picture of them. It might have information about particular prohibitions that that abuser has been ordered by the court to not do. So like stay away from the victim not engage with them on social media, maybe not go to their workplace. So it's a a very critical document for a survivor to have in hand to enhance their safety at all times. But of course, managing having this document of pages on you at all times can be a little bit of a challenge. Pages get torn, the staples don't hold, you might lose these documents. You might not have them on your person when you need them. Let's say they're in your car when you go into a supermarket um, and your abuser confronts you there. So they've been problematic in actually having the information available to law enforcement through the survivor at all times. So the Hope Card envisions having a small wallet-sized card that's laminated that a survivor can put in their wallet, in their purse, in their pocket. And it's just more manageable for them to have it on them at all times. So what information could go on, say, a wallet-sized card? Because I have to imagine you can't get everything that might get into multiple pages in the traditional format. That's a good question. What we've seen other states do, because there's five other states that have enacted Hope Card programs before New York State, and we've seen on one side of their cards... It contains a photo of the victim, the victim's name, their information, like where they might live, eye color, height, their case number of the order of protection, the date that it was issued, the date that it expires. So that's enough information for law enforcement to be able to go into their police car and pull up the file on that case because the information that's on the card connects to New York's order of protection registry, which is accessible to law enforcement when they're out in the field. 
And then on the flip side, you would have information about the victim, where they live, um, if there are any children who are covered by the order and specifics, you know, if it's a full stay away or if there are other specific prohibitions that the respondent, you know, has to abide by, that would be, it is pretty small type, but still legible for law enforcement to very quickly be able to identify the conditions of that order. Per an approval memo from the governor, the legislature uh, is agreeing to expand the form of the HOPE card so that in addition to being that physical item for a purse or, or wallet that we've been talking about, it will also be available in an electronic form. What do you think that that digital paperwork could or should consist of? Is this something that might be like an app? Is it uh, potentially something that is tucked into our digital wallets? Or is this something where it remains to be seen what the the Office of Court Administration comes up with? It, It does remain to be seen since this was a chapter amendment negotiated by the governor. We think it's a fantastic idea. We all have our phones usually readily available to us even survivors who are homeless, uh, low income, uh, one of the real critical tools that they have at their disposal is a phone. So having that electronic tool available, we think is a great option. Just what that might look like, it's really up to OCA to sort of frame, but we're hoping maybe to have the opportunity to work with them to develop that. Are you anticipating that there'll need to be any sort of learning curve once these new forms of orders of protection are made available so that people recognize them for what they are and take them as the serious documents that they are? Yes. What we've seen a couple of the other states do is just create a very simple training flyer, particularly for law enforcement on the card. I think the card is is fairly simple to understand, but what we really want to elevate is that the HOPE card has the same validity as the order of protection. So what what I mean by that is you need to go to court to obtain the order of protection. So a HOPE card can only be in place if there's already a court-issued order of protection for that survivor, you know, that's valid. But once there is that valid court-issued order of protection and someone has the HOPE card, The HOPE card is all law enforcement needs to understand that this is a domestic violence incident that might be occurring and to respond accordingly. So that's what we really need law enforcement to understand is that the validity of the HOPE card is the same as having a paper copy of the order of protection. Well, I want to turn to the 2024 legislative and budget sessions in Albany. But first, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Joan Gerhardt, Director of Public Policy and Advocacy for the New York State Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So looking ahead to 2024, how is a scheduled drop in federal funding for crime victims uh, affecting your agenda here at the Capitol? Oh, it's, it is our priority agenda. <laughs> so I would say um, it, it is what we're focusing on for 2024. It's been the same priority for us, unfortunately, for the last couple of years. Um, just to, to fill your listeners in a little bit more, domestic violence services in New York State have been flat funded for years. 
Um, most of the funding that the state uses to support domestic violence services is actually federal funding that comes into the state. It's a, a few different federal funding streams. So they go into various state agencies and administered out to domestic violence programs under either contracts or as grants. So when we see fluctuations in the federal funding that's coming into the state, we're really left without a, a mechanism to address that because there isn't state funding already set up in the budget to support domestic violence services. A couple of years ago, we saw significant cuts in one specific federal funding stream, which is called the Victims of Crime Act funding or VOCA. And this is for many domestic violence service providers and for victim service providers generally, so broader than domestic violence agencies, um, significant cuts in this VOCA funding. And there are issues at the federal level with respect to deposits that are made into this fund that's affecting the grants that's coming into the states, which gets very complicated. But suffice it to say that in the past, let's say in 2018, the VOCA grant coming into New York State was $199 million. And that would go out to victim service providers under an RFA, so under contracts. This year's grant that came into New York State was 77 million. So a drastic reduction. And we're now hearing next year's grant is gonna be even less. So in the area of maybe 40 million. Now, obviously, you can't do as much with 40 million as you used to do with nearly 200 million. In the past couple of years, we have seen the state for the first time dedicate some funding out of general revenues for domestic violence services. So they earmarked $14 million in the last two state budgets to help cover some of this shortfall. But of course, you know, that totals 28 million. That's not nearly the cuts that we've been experiencing. So we're gonna be advocating once again for additional funding from the state to help cover the shortfall that we're seeing from the federal government. Do you have a sense in how many victims of crimes could be impacted by failing to augment the federal funding in a meaningful way? I mean, are we talking about something that impacts hundreds of people each year? Is it more niche than that? How should we think of this problem? Uh, this is millions of New Yorkers. So this is every New Yorker who experiences crime, because like I said, this is broader than just domestic violence survivors. This is anyone who experiences crime and seeks services at a victim service provider. So whether you're a victim of murder, gun violence, domestic violence, child abuse, if you're seeking legal services to help you with a criminal case or even a civil order of protection, because this affects legal service organizations too who are assisting crime victims. To give you a sense of the scope, at least from the domestic violence perspective, based on a national survey that's done every year by the National Network to End Domestic Violence, New York's domestic violence agencies 
support more than 9,000 victims a day in New York. So if you extrapolate that over the course of a year, that's thousands of victims. And that's just in the domestic violence sector, not accounting for the other types of victims who go seek services. And for people who don't have the means to dig into their own pockets to get the services they require after being the victim of a crime, what does it mean to someone to not access those services? What can the negative consequences be? Well, at the very least, it impairs their safety, right? I mean, that's that's the, um, the, the worst result, is that they are unable to engage in safety planning, which is sitting with an advocate, a support staff, an attorney, to identify what steps you ought to be taking to keep safe going forward. And then also any efforts that victim um, takes to get justice within our court system, to obtain employment, to protect their children, to find a new place to live. I mean, the, the support services that these victim service providers provide are extensive and really comprehensive. It's, it's very unique and tailored to the needs of that particular victim. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Joan Gerhardt. They're the director of public policy and advocacy for the New York State Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Joan, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.